1: The benefits, the comps, the perks, nap rooms, those aren't aren't meeting us. Those are one size fits all and they're not working for everyone. So we've got to look at that individual within the system to start to figure out how to engage these teams.
0: Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. Our topic on this episode is one that I, you know, I hesitate to say any topic applies to everybody, but this one might. So I think you're in for a treat today. Our guest is Carson Tate. She is the founder and managing partner of Working Simply Inc., a business consulting firm that partners with organizations, business leaders, and employees to enhance workplace productivity, Foster Employee Engagement, and Build Personal and Professional Legacies, all things we're fans of here on the show. She's also the author of a book we're going to be talking about today specifically, Own It, Love It, Make It Work, How to Make Any Job Your Dream Job, and that is one of the boldest subtitles I think I have heard in a long time, Carson, so can't wait to talk to you more about it. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul
1: thank you david i'm glad to be here and i can't wait to talk about how to turn any job into your dream job
0: all right well we appreciate you being here with us and we know i know you're you're coming to us today broadcasting from North carolina is that right
1: that is correct yes
0: and on the day of the recording just give us a taste of what that weather's like
1: uh, it is about 96 degrees and almost 100% humidity. So for your female listeners, bad hair day. For your male listeners, we're all just very hot and sweaty.
0: I got to say, I think that's a bad everything day to be outside.
1: <laughs> it is a bad everything uh, day.
0: Unless you're a mosquito or something, I don't know. <laughs> well, Carson, as we get started today, I want to ask you to take us back in your own life here before we get into the book. And Wherever that might be, what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader?
1: I had the opportunity to work at an all girls summer camp. And my, I think the earliest memory was, I guess it was about 15 years old. And my cabin group was responsible for putting together the last night's celebration. So this is a big deal at camp. Everyone, all eyes on you. You've got to hit you know that high note. And things weren't going well in the planning. As you can imagine, 15-year-old women were, were struggling to find a common theme. And I just distinctly remembering saying to the group, but here's why we're doing this. Here's why it mattered. And that shifted the conversation. And we finally aligned on a theme and had a fantastic, what we call final night for ourselves and all of the other campers.
0: I love it. It takes me back to my days at camp. Yes, those were fantastic experiences. And the the at 15 years old to experientially discover the power of connecting what you were trying to do pulling everybody back to that meaningful compelling reason why how amazing is that
1: it was amazing and i'm grateful for that instinct and it as you know we know now we've seen it many times in business when you connect the head and the heart and that bigger why anything is possible
0: Well, and that's a I mean, it's a great segue too into the work that you've done in this book, in terms of talking about your any job can be your dream job and own it, love it, make it work. So we'll get into that and and talk more about it before we dive into the nuts and bolts and and how we go about doing this. I want to ask you about your journey. What is it that motivated this book? I mean, this is a bit of an audacious statement. It is. And Yet the approach is really good. We're going to dive in, but what motivated you? Why did you write this book?
1: I had three primary motivators. The first one, very personally, I had had a job that absolutely stunk. There's another word, David, that I want to use, but it was terrible. You know, I had a job I hated. It was abysmal, and I didn't want to wake up and go to work in the morning. And luckily I had some mentors that helped me through that. The second reason why is, as I looked at the business landscape, we still have a disengagement epidemic that's consuming our workplaces. Employee engagement has been the focus for many, many years. Really solid strategies around culture and leaders and developing them, but we haven't moved the needle more than a couple of percentage points. So there is, a problem that the approaches that are in the marketplace are not solving. So definition of insanity, trying to keep doing it the same way. And then the third, probably most compelling, was what I was seeing with our clients. Our executive coaching clients and in our client organizations, they were burned out over it. And these were not folks who weren't at the top of their game, highly successful. I mean, these are really successful companies and team members. There's no fulfillment. No meaning in their lives. They didn't want to get up and go to work. It's like this is a problem.
0: So identifying that problem, and I have seen that myself. I have experienced it myself. I'm curious how you diagnose that problem. Are there are there trends? Are there themes? Are there as pe- if people, if somebody's listening today, going, "Oh yeah, Carson, I'm listening to you, and I am feeling that way." Like, what are some of the causal themes that you have identified?
1: Mm -hmm. So the most obvious ones are the Sunday night scaries, where you start to get that pit in your stomach and you just, you know, Sunday afternoon, the great weekend mood and excitement plummets as you dread Monday morning. If you find yourself struggling to get out of bed, you're really counting the minutes till you log off or go on a vacation. Those are really overt, I would say. Um, Obvious symbols that something isn't working, but it's also the more subtle symbol signs that I would see with our coaching clients where they didn't really have the drive to initiate that new project. Um, It was taking longer to get started. Um, They were letting conflict fester in a way that they hadn't before. They weren't um, really coaching their team members because they didn't have the energy and the enthusiasm. Customer service, not terrible, but it just wasn't at the same level that it had been.
0: So, okay, these are great symptoms, signs, signals (laughs) to to look for, to be on the lookout for in yourself or or your your team. So, you know, the, the, the lethargy that you described, the anxiety, the I don't want us, that's what Karen and I call them, the I don't want us.
1: Love that. The, I don't
0: want us. Yes. I don't want us. And so, OK, so we're seeing these and we all have that now and again. Right. But you're talking about a consistent pattern and a change from how you used to be showing up. So if those are the symptoms, are there some some main buckets that are causing these symptoms?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And so one of them is the overwhelm and the inefficiency. So I would say one bucket is productivity. So are you using tools and strategies that align with how you think and process? Do we have systems that function in our hybrid workplace or before that really well in your organization? So there's that the productivity where there just is the friction of the work is hard. But then the second bucket is this engagement fulfillment bucket. Where, what's the mean, What's the purpose? Why am I doing this? Am I even making a difference? Or it, it, does this work even matter? That's the other bucket. And so it took me a while actually to decouple because I initially thought, I was like, gosh, this just sounds like friction in the workplace. You know, just kind of overwhelmed, kind of burned out a little bit, but not really this, what I would consider a much more deeper rooted source of malaise, this, engagement and meaning bucket.
0: So we've got productivity and purpose and we can have dysfunction in either one of those and then they can undermine and cause some of these other symptoms. As you're talking, it seems to me that just for listeners who are going, "Okay, wait, I heard the title of that book. I don't believe it." how to make any job (laughs) And even as you're talking, though, it seems like, okay, you're very cognizant in identifying there are the system stressors and then there are the internal stressors that we face. So, when you talk about your dream job, and so own it, love it, make it work, how to make any job your dream job, at the, at the 50,000 foot level, then what are we actually talking about? And then we'll dive into some of the techniques we can use.
1: David, you framed it exactly, I'd say very well, in that in this book, we're talking about the individual contributor within a system, because the traditional approaches to employee engagement have been systemic. We're looking at the system. Well, I'm saying we got to look at the individual operating within the system. So the book is about me and me clarifying what I need to be engaged and fulfilled at work and take the guesswork out of employee engagement from the employer's perspective. So the benefits, the comps, the perks, nap rooms, none of us are using those right now, but those aren't aren't meeting us. Those are one size fits all and they're not working for everyone. So we've got to look at that individual within the system to start to figure out how to engage these teams.
0: All right. So if you're listening, uh, you know, you're a leader, you're leading a team, you're a part of a system, right? We've talked about it before. The one person that you've got control over is you. So everything Carson's going to share with us starts with ourselves. Right. And and we take it from there. So let's start. Let's dive in. I mean, one of the the first in the own it step. So the title own it, love it, make it work are actually the steps that we go through. <laughs> right? So you've okay. made it easy for us to to get going. So in the own it step, you, you, you really do. And I, I love this approach of the important work of self reflection and acknowledging who you are, what you need. And specifically, you call out admitting your recognition and appreciation needs. What are we talking about there, and how do I do that?
1: Mm -hmm. So it's it's fairly simple. How do you want to be seen and acknowledged for your contributions at work? So is it I just solved a really difficult problem with a customer, and all I want for you, David, to do as my manager is know that I did it and just give me a thank you, Carson, for your good work, or do I want you to send an email out to the entire team? Here was the issue. Carson did a great job solving it. And that allows me to feel needed and appreciated and valued for my contributions. It's a pretty basic human need to be seen and valued. However, we tend to appreciate people the way we want to be appreciated. And so this is the Individual team member saying, hey, David, you know what I really appreciate when you just spend some time helping me think through and problem solve that really helps me know that I'm valued as a team member, versus you might want us to publicly recognize how you want to um, be rewarded, that public recognition is important for you.
0: You're, you're taking me to a couple of places here. So first, just validating absolutely that there are different ways that people like recognition and appreciation. But the layers that are coming up for me are, first, as a leader or a, a manager, I'm listening to this like, I need to know that for myself. And I don't want to I don't want to pass over that because that's not self-reflection that everybody's done. And if, okay, it's one thing to know that that's what you need, or that's what's going to fill your your affirmation and encouragement cup, but have you communicated that? Have you managed your environment or influenced your own environment in any way to help that to happen? Uh, and then I'm thinking about what we're doing for our team members. So I'm going to come back to that. But just on the on the on the idea of what we're communicating, how we're sharing, how we like to receive recognition and appreciation. What suggestions do you have there in terms of okay, if I've gotten clear about that, now what?
1: It needs to be really simple and direct with your manager. So, David, the other day when I solved the really difficult customer service problem, I really would have appreciated if you could have just said thank you. That helps me. It affirms my experience. It motivates me to continue to do the good work. Super simple. Or if you did appreciate me the way I really wanted to be appreciated and recognized, to say thank you for that and be very direct in that that type of appreciation was very motivating and helpful for me. Going,
0: going back to the, the encouragement loop, right? We get more of what we encourage and celebrate. So when your boss has done it right, let them know. Tell her, you know what? I so appreciated that. Thank you. That really feeds my soul. Uh, you know, I recognize it might not be for other people, but boy, for me, that makes a difference. Thank you, All right? So, okay, so we've got the flip side of that. Now, we're doing this for ourselves, but this is a leadership moment where we can absolutely extend this same sensitivity and knowledge to our team members. Uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, in an executive role, I had a former professional football player on my team, and you would have thought the guy would love public acknowledgement because he used to play pro football. and not the case. So if I call him up and say, Hey, I just want to acknowledge so-and-so for what they did. And here's your plaque and round of applause, everybody. (laughs) And he would turn purple and he wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. He hated it. All right. But he was a family, eight kids, a farm, chickens, dogs, all kinds of things. And if I could give him, you know, an hour off on a Friday to go catch his kid's soccer game and then cover his work for them, that would make him tear up. That was incredibly meaningful for him. So knowing what's what is the encouragement, what's relevant for your folks, it's so important.
1: It's so important, it's, you know, David. We've been telling our clients and leaders, you know, employee engagement is not a one size fits all. It's engaging one heart and one mind at a time. And the pushback initially is that sounds like it's going to take a lot of time. Hmm, maybe a little bit. But it's getting to know your team members. And once you know, it didn't take any extra time for you to give him that hour off to go coach his children's soccer game.
0: And moreover, it's an investment, right? Because the loyalty, the connection to the work, the feeling seen, the next time I need to ask something hard or that is maybe sacrificial or anything like that. And it's not that you do it for that reason, but you've got a relationship and that's how relationships work. My friend needs to show up 15 minutes late. No problem. Stranger wants to show up 15 minutes late. That's a whole different conversation.
1: Exactly. Well, that's the basis of what I'm proposing in the book is that we're drawing upon social exchange theory, right? And in relationships, it's give and take. So as your friend, I support you understand. Oh, you know, you had a hiccup with traffic. No big deal. Yes, you're 15 minutes late. But if we don't think about the relationship with our employer in that way and that we're both contributing, but we also both have expectations, then that's where it becomes one-sided. And in us versus them, or we get to a place where I don't feel loyal and connected and seen.
0: Well, Carson, as as we're talking about this, I know that there is somebody listening right now saying, okay, Carson, I hear you. I'm going to go tell my boss, you know, if you could uh, acknowledge that, Privately, or if you could tell me thank you, or if you could, that would be really meaningful. I'd really appreciate that. And there are unfortunately sub bosses out there. Somebody's going to say, you know what? If I had to go to my boss and tell him that, yeah, that's not going to go so well.
1: And so, my first question would be, how do you know? So, the first place I'm going to push back is, is this an assumption? Is this a story you're telling about yourself? I mean, about this situation to yourself? And how might we challenge that assumption and how might we look for places where it's not true. So I'd go there first. And then the other place I would potentially go if I was coaching would be what's the absolute worst thing that happens if you have this three sentence conversation with your boss.
0: Yeah. And then the worst is they say, Okay, I hear you. Probably not going to happen. I mean, at worst,
1: <laughs> right? At right? Exactly. They say that, or they look at you like I am not sure what just happened. Why Carson came to me. So, if that's the worst case, and if that does happen, that's information. Good information. Then, are you willing to take the risk? And is it really truly that risky?
0: Yeah, it's a very little downside, huge upside equation. If you're not very having it already, much so. yeah. And that directly contributes to you enjoying your work and having more of a dream job. All right, the second half of Own It, you get us into aligning our strengths. And this is such a critical, again, there's everything that you've given us here is two faceted, there's for us, and then there's what we can help for our team. Let's talk about us Mm -hmm. when it comes to aligning our strengths. What are we talking about?
1: So we're talking about getting really clear on your unique capabilities, skills and experiences that when you do that work, it lights you up, it's energizing, you want to do more of it. Step one, and then it's connecting those tasks, those types of problems that you solve, those projects to the goals of your team and the strategic goals of the organization and proactively looking for ways to do more of them because they help your team and your organization, so it's creating a win for you and for your team.
0: You know, as as you're talking about aligning your strengths of getting clear on what what turns your crank and where you're the most productive, and so on. One of the, I know in my own career, one of the things I'd have come up around that conversation with myself sometimes, like, okay, well, yeah, I can do that, but is that's really what's needed in this job? They've got these outcomes they need, that sort of thing. And I I had my own experience around that, but I'm I'm curious what conversations you have with with folks as they're going through that process and they start to maybe feel some disconnect.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you saying, David, the disconnect between their strengths and how they add value in the organization or that their strengths aren't in their, quote, job description?
0: They're not feeling like they're in their job descriptions. I'll get get real practical. So let's say you've got a... uh, Somebody who's in uh, somehow managed to find themselves in an influence or a sales role of some kind. Maybe it's internal sales, but that's what's required. But they are more of a process-driven, they love their spreadsheets kind of a person. And they're looking at their process and spreadsheets and going, yeah, but what they need is for me to do this. I'm not sure how this lines up. How do I use these strengths? Can, mm-hmm. they, can they align? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great example. I, I would say they could. So they've got a strong process orientation and spreadsheets. How does that either make it easier, faster, or more impactful for them as an internal sales person? So how do we take what you're good at and use it to amplify your job? Oh, you know what? When we look at the number of touch points that these internal sales folks are making across our organization, when they do it on this day, at this time, or with this group, here's the ROI. Hmm. Okay. So we've now used your strength to optimize your current job and add even more impact in the organization.
0: And you can use it not just and that's using it to inform everybody else's work and leveraging their work. And you can use it to do your own as well. I, the conversation is making me think of an organization we worked with, financial institution, and one of their chief controllers uh, was not the, the biggest people person. I know we get into relationships in a little while. And as we talked about his strengths, I mean, there's nobody better at spreadsheets than this guy, right? So that's what he did. As we talked about, he understood the need, he understood the outcome, and he understood that his role required this level of relationship. The conversational relationships that some of us might take for granted did not come readily to him. He built a spreadsheet. And He had everybody's name in the organization. And when he'd have a conversation and learn that so-and-so's son was in the Air Force, learned to be a fighter pilot, he'd write it down. And just as he'd accumulate, and then once or twice a week, he'd review his spreadsheet and it would just bring to mind some of these things that he was able to talk about them.
1: Absolutely. I had the same situation with a person in finance I was coaching. He built the same spreadsheet for his team.
0: Great. Nothing wrong with that. There
1: is nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all. Just because it's not expected or the norm doesn't mean it's not a great tool for you.
0: Absolutely. So before you run off and I got to go create another job or work for (laughs) myself or go to another company, right? We're going to start by owning it. Let me recognize where I need, how I need recognition, appreciation, what my strengths are, how they align with the work I'm doing. So from there, what do we do? Where do we go next?
1: From there, we're gonna go to the relationship piece. So how do we make it work? Because none of us work in isolation, all of us work on teams. And so how do you cultivate the authentic relationships that create that sense of fun and community at work? I mean, Gallup's data shows us that if you have a best friend at work, you are more engaged, you're happier at work. So we want want to have those relationships. And you also want to have those relationships so that you can advance in your career and you can do more of the work, more of the strengths-based work that lights you up.
0: All right. So... We've owned it, we loved it, we're getting and building the relationships, cultivating authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna hone in on that word authentic a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and throw you a challenge here, Uh, on Mm -hmm. behalf of a, we were presenting in Germany at a conference and talking about relationships and leaders caring for their employees and teams and all this kind of thing, and and the human connection we're talking about. And a woman about two thirds of the way in the back of the room (laughs) raises her hand we called on her, she stands up. She says, what if I don't care about my people? I'm like, Okay, can you elaborate? Cause if you don't care at all, what are you doing in a leadership role? She said, well, I don't wanna be their friends. Like I'm not here to be somebody's best friend. I care about them. I said, do you care? Do you want them to succeed? She's like, yes, I do want them to succeed. I want them to be successful individually, but I don't care at the level of friendship, all right? And so I think it gets into that word authentic. What is your perspective? What might you share with her? And what are we talking about with authentic relationships?
1: So the first thing I would say to her is that I hear a very clear boundary for you around the depth of the personal relationship that you want to have with your team members. What I'm hearing is that there is a foundation of I care and I want them to succeed professionally. So I I hear that distinction. The way I would define authentic is that I am treating my team members the way that they want to be treated versus using the age old golden rule, treating them the way I want to be treated, which means I'm gonna communicate in a way that I'm clearly heard and understood by them. I am cognizant of how they work best. I am very clear on their boundaries. And I'm not in any way intruding in a professional way that would make them or me uncomfortable.
0: So it's the authentic part of things is getting clear, once again, about your own values and how to to work those out in those relationships, right?
1: Absolutely. Your values and the other person's values. And again, not assuming that we all have the same values and that we all want the same things. So early in the pandemic, I remember seeing it and hearing from leaders, you know, we need to get together and we just need to connect, chat. And I just want to start every team meeting and I want to hear all about, you know, your Netflix binging. Well, there's some team members that want that relational connection and it's important for them. There are other team members that look at that as a waste of their time, insensitive to what they have going on in their work and their personal professional lives. They just want to get to the point, like what's the point of the meeting? But if we use these broad brushstrokes and in our interactions with our team members, we, invariably someone is connecting and resonating and someone else isn't.
0: And so getting back to knowing the individual needs of your team and, and crafting the experiences that are going to create the relationships that are going to be meaningful for everyone involved, recognizing there isn't a one brush fits every hair type situation out here. Exactly. All right. So as we're as we're focused on developing these relationships, you also talk about developing our skills and knowledge. And um, and this is where I think we start to get into the crux. of when you're talking about your dream job, it's not it's not just a whimsical, hey, this job stinks. I'm not enjoying it. But if I wave a couple of magic wands, I'm going to love it. There's some work here.
1: There is definitely work here. And the work is radical self-awareness around what you need and the willingness to take, I would say, a longer-term view. So let's say you're in a job right now where you're using most of your strengths, you're developing the relationships, you and your manager communicate well, you're seen. But what you really want to do is be not um, the sale on an outside sales team. You want to be the VP of sales. Well, there are some skills that you need to develop to do that. So the recognition of where you wanna go, but also the recognition that you own your professional development. It's not up to you, David, my manager to tell me, this is what you need to do. I need to do the work to identify my skill gap, bring it to you for additional insight and input, and then own making it work for me to develop those skills so that I can be selected as the VP of the sales organization.
0: And if you're listening to Carson go, you know, that sounds like a really valuable process, I've got some good news for you. <laughs> First is you lay it out in, in good detail in the book about how to develop that personal professional development plan. Uh, you give us some tools to do that. You also have a, just for everyone listening, there are a wealth of tools both in the appendices of uh, own it, love it, make it work, that will guide you through these things, as well as, Carson, you have a whole host of online tools, assessments, forms, and things that we can use to do some of these things. So just while we're on the topic, tell us where we should be going to get all this stuff.
1: All of it is available on my website, WorkingSimply.com. And you can also check it out on LinkedIn, Carson Tate on LinkedIn. We have a lot of these tools and articles and how-to guides there as well. So website, WorkingSimply.com, as well as LinkedIn.
0: All right. And we'll get all the links and and so on in the in the show notes. So while we're talking on the topic of the personal professional development plan, Mm -hmm. um, you as you're putting that together and looking at abilities and opportunities and skill development and all of that, you have an acronym uh, GROW to help us think through some of these things. And I'm wondering if you'd walk that I thought that was particularly powerful and wondering if you could walk us through. How do we grow? What is the what are the four steps that we're trying to do here?
1: Yes. So the the first step in the grow process is to do a resume walk where you go back and you get clear, the G sounds for get clear. You get clear on your strengths, your capabilities and your experiences. And in that process, you start to synthesize and start to see some themes. Then the R, the next step is the results because you have made an impact, what were the results that you achieved? So for these core themes and skills that you uncover, we get really clear on the results. Then the O stands for own it. You know, when you did this, what was that impact? How did you feel? Uh, What was that connection? This is where we're tapping in a little bit into that intrinsic motivation because we want more of these experiences. So you generate significant results for the organization and it lights you up inside. That's the secret sauce I want more of. And then the W is the opportunity where you look and you go, hmm, where else? Where else can I do it? Where else have I done it? So that you have a really comprehensive map.
0: I love that process so much. It's, it's an acronym I did not have, I didn't have it shared with me. And then as I reflect on some pivotal moments in my own career and work development, it resonated so I went, oh yeah, that's, when I had that moment looking in that personnel file and I made that decision, that's what just happened there. G-R-O-W, right? Yes. I got real clear, real fast recognize the results own my results and said where else can i do this for me the answer was start my own business but right it's such a powerful way to go about that so encourage you use that that tool that carson shared with us you know as we're talking here i just said oh and the result for me is i started my own business and that might not be the employee engagement I uh, hope that everyone is listening to you going, well, I don't want my team members walking away and doing their own thing as they get really clear about what they're doing. Or maybe I do. Talk to us about how this works in the the big picture because today's day and age, we none of us are staying with, for the most part, an organization for a lifetime. How does this work?
1: Mm-hmm. So if I'm putting on my organizational leader hat, My intention would be that this process enables your team member to stay within your organization and look for other opportunities. So the grow process, that W is prompting them within this organization where I've invested time and I've got relationships and they know me and my body of work, where else? And it might be something really radically different. I might be in finance and want to move to marketing okay, we can start to build those bridges. So I I want folks to not stay heads down. It's only this way. I want this process to be an expansion process within the organization. And as an entrepreneur myself who left a job, I also recognize that at some point, the highest and best for that team member is for them to leave and go start their own job, their own company or sort of different career. And in that situation, my hope is that they you have as a leader really been influential and helped them grow. And now as they succeed, you can also be proud of part of that success for them.
0: So much, so much truth there. And the reality is that your whole team is looking at that. And that that investment and that support of that person and the way that you help them grow to get to that point. That means something to everybody else who's on the team, whether they stay there for the next 20 years or the next five years, right? Uh, that continues that engagement process for you as a leader.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I also believe, David, I'd be interested to see your thoughts on this, is that I don't believe ever, you, that doors are ever fully shut, right? And that someone might come back. So they might go and start a business and then sell it and then want to come back in a different way. or they might start a business that you need as a vendor partner and we want to engage. Yeah, I, I don't ever want to burn those proverbial bridges or believe that doors are ever really shut.
0: Yeah, the, the danger I think that you're getting at is as a leader, if we have a fixed mindset and we just wire our brain shut, this is the way it is, this is the way it has to be and anything less than that is a disappointment, well, you're going to have a rough life and rough leadership. But to have that fluid like opportunity and the, as you used the word expanding mindset that says, hey, listen, I'm investing in people and this is what we're doing and that creates opportunities. You know, and you've got somebody in the organization, we just had a conversation like this just the other day doing a developmental discussion planner uh, uh, activity like you're suggesting we do for ourselves and with our team here and a you know, senior vice president who heard from one of their people, I'd like to do this shift from, let's say finance to marketing. Mm-hmm. It was one of those kinds of transitions and they said seriously i had no idea well here i've got some things you can try let's do some work here and in two weeks they the chops the level of acumen they had for it were on full display and the svp's going holy cow this is so valuable i've i just solved a problem i didn't even know i had a solution right here you know? oh,
1: such a powerful story i love that i also would say so that leader who enabled their team member in your organization, their internal brand just went through the roof. So now the other high potential talent in your organization is like, wait a minute, I'm hearing through the grapevine that Jim just did this for Susie. I want to work for Jim. Absolutely. So now Jim is a, a wonderful place to go and work. And I think the other piece that we're seeing now in the world of social media is that the brand also is external. So when someone leaves your organization and if they leave in a way that um, they're feeling empowered and excited about what's next and that you've encouraged them and helped them grow, yeah, they're not going to slam you on some of the social media platforms. And it matters. It really I does just- matter
0: not just not slam you, but the opportunity is there to promote you. Hey, listen, this is the, I have people who on social media, that's the best boss I ever, they haven't worked for me for 15 years. And I'm thinking, well, what is their current boss saying? But, you know, <laughs> you know but I appreciate that. Like it's the opportunities are out of the world we live in. That brand exceeds the four walls of, of your living room today or your office or your, your company.
1: Absolutely. And I think you want to make sure that that brand needs are continuously recruiting talent and re-recruiting talent, Absolutely. right? So that re-recruitment of your internal team members, they see that like, oh yeah, David really is the best boss. That's powerful.
0: You know, and that investment, that re-recruiting that you're talking about, so important as you're going through all the changes and crises and all the things the world's thrown at us these days of not assuming those things, not assuming... Uh, a person's connection, right? But that we're doing that. And you know, I, you didn't say this, but I'm wondering, it's also everything we're talking about is re-recruiting ourselves. And I don't know if you've thought about it that way or not, but as everything you're sharing through the, the book and our conversation, as I look at the way that the pandemic and all of the changes and everything else have affected me personally, as a leader of a business and the work that we're doing, I had to re-recruit myself. Like, okay, what does this look like now? You know.
1: Absolutely, I did the same thing as we had to shift the format of one of you know how we thought about and deliver training. One arm of our business is training, and we used to spend lots and lots of miles on the road, you know, hours and miles. But had to pivot, and I had to re-recruit myself and my team members to get excited about doing this in a virtual environment. That was a pivot and a change. It's a re-recruitment. And then the other thing that's coming up for me in our conversation, I was thinking about yesterday as well, is the choice not to outsource my career or my life. Yes.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: I'm not going to outsource it to you as my manager and hope that you're going to do it the way I want you to. No, I'm going to take ownership for that. I'm going to re-recruit. I'm going to own. And I'm really going to craft something that's meaningful for me.
0: And that... You know, that you get in the final, in the, the third step of the book and to make it work and designing your work to find your meaning. As you coach leaders who are like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. Like when I think that happens to most people, maybe not everybody, but you get to that place where the activity has become the focus and we've lost sight of the meaning. What practical suggestions do you have? If someone's listening around and going, yeah, I I do, but that's where I am, what can they do?
1: Mm -hmm. So you've disconnected from that why or that significance. And the first question I ask is, what would happen if you did not perform your task? So if you just stop doing them, what happens on your team? What happens in the business? And then what happens for your customers and then the community? Let's just play that out just start to brainstorm. It's a really easy way to start to see that the dominoes start to fall in a negative way. So you let down your team, they have to work harder to pick up where you drop the ball or your customer isn't receiving what they need or they can't grow their business because you aren't serving them. You start to see the broader implications. So it moves from a myopic task focus view to an impact. View like wait. This does have a ripple effect, and then once we start to see that you are impactful, then can we start to back into well, what does that mean for you? So when your customer grows their business, how do you feel? Like what's in it for you in that? Um, how does that denote significance in your work? And keep peeling back these, these layers of impact personally on within your community to start to reclaim that significance. So you can start to, it really becomes a reframing, you know, a reconnection and a a psychological shift. So I'll give you a personal example. I early in my career did outside sales and it was actually cold calling sales on the phone, which was a really great learning experience, but very difficult. My vocabulary, David, expanded exponentially. I didn't even know some of these words existed. So yeah, when it got really, really rough, I'm like, oh my God, all I'm doing is like smiling and dialing. How is this doesn't matter? I'm just making money for the boss until I thought about, oh, you know what I was doing? I was selling booth space, 10 by 10 booth space for these trade shows. Well, my trade shows were predominantly women entrepreneurs who were using this 100 square feet to launch a business now this is obviously many many years ago before we had these online options and when i looked at that way completely changed it's like well i can get behind entrepreneurship i can get behind women and wow this is an opportunity for them that was the reframe Now, did every day feel rosy and fabulous because I thought about that way? No, but there was a deeper sense of purpose. And if I wasn't providing and my company was not providing this opportunity, what does that mean for the folks who were purchasing the booth space?
0: I love that example so much and the the power of that reframe and, and reconnecting from the task to the meaning behind it. I'm curious, I have my own thoughts on this, but I'm curious, How often do you find leaders need to do that, both for themselves and for their teams?
1: More than we do. Most of the folks I work with are very successful type A drivers. They drop their head down and they sprint towards the goals. And that works. But if you just go goal after goal after goal and never celebrate and come up and look at impact and why, it's exhausting. And so I think one of the reasons we've seen, and there are many, but one that I think we're seeing, why we've seen such this burnout in the, and the during the pandemic, was a lot of people just put their head down. Yeah.
0: I'm
1: just going to check things off the list. I'm just going to check things off the list without pulling back to see the impact, the significance. How it was mattering to them and their community. And so the challenge is for all of us to hold each other accountable, to pull our heads up and look around and notice.
0: And it seems to me that if you're a leader and you're going to take responsibility for everything that Carson is, is sharing here, how can you build that in to your work plan? Like you've, you've got your monthly or every two weeks, whatever your structure is, Where are you building in to pull your head up and for yourself, forget your team for just a second, but for yourself to remember why you're doing what you're doing. And if I'm really doing this, if this is the big picture, what should I be doing? What would I be doing? What am I going to do in order to achieve that? And I don't know if every two weeks is too often, you know, or if it's every month, but it depends probably on on what we're doing
1: hmm It doesn't. I think it, I mean, you could, if you needed to, you can put it on your to-do list, if you could calendar time. I think that as a leader, creating that accountability for yourself within your team at a team meeting, maybe once a month, hey, you know, what was the impact that you had? Yeah. You know, why, why did you get up today and come to work? Yeah. You know, what's at stake if you don't do it? We worked with a um, big pharma company and we're working with their drug safety team. And The drug safety team in big pharma, all they hear is really hard news, right? I mean, that's where all of the adverse reactions go. And it's a really difficult place to work. And the team's engagement morale was really low. And one of the first things that we did is we asked the leaders to start connecting the team to the customers, the, the patient's who were benefiting from their therapies. And so at each team meeting, they would have a five to 10 sentence little blurb. You have a patient story marketing out all of these. And they would just open with that. It just reconnected the team to the deeper why. It, it didn't necessarily make the work easier, but it made it more significant.
0: If the work doesn't become easier, at least the energy with which we're able to pursue it becomes greater
1: much greater because there is a much more important why behind it.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Carson Tate, the author of Own It, Love It, Make It Work, How to Make Any Job Your Dream Job. And we've covered a number of different practical ways to get after that. Carson, we can find your book just about everywhere. Is that right?
1: Everywhere. Yes. Your favorite outlet. You can find it.
0: Your favorite outlet, your favorite format?
1: Your favorite format. If you like to listen to it, it's available as an audio book on all your favorite audio channels. And if you like the book, you can get the book from any of your channels available on Kindle. However you want to consume the material, you can choose.
0: All right. It's out there in all the ways. And that said, I'm going to make a pitch for one of the visual versions because of some of the tools that are included. But if you're a listener, like my son is, go for it and then get your visual copy so you can see the tools. Go to the website, check those out. Carson, as we wrap up, somebody reads your book. What is your hope? What's the What are they going to do after they read your book in an ideal world? You got your best reader. They go, yes. Now what happens?
1: I hope that they re-engage with their work in a meaningful, fulfilling way and stay and spread the word that it is possible to own love and make your job your dream job, that it actually can happen.
0: And what a business What a company, what a department, what a world we will live in if everyone listening to the show today will do that. Not just for yourselves, but then for your team. Carson, thank you so much for being a guest today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. So appreciate it.
1: Thank you, David. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, everyone. Own it, love it, make it work. Do it for yourself, do it for your team, and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be.